Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 25, 1 through 26. So let us stand for the reading of the Word of God. Genesis 25, 1 through 26. Now Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah, and she bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. And Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim and Letushim and Lemumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah and Epher and Hanak and Abadah and Eldah. All these were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man, satisfied with life, and was gathered to his people. Then his son, I, sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the grave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased for the sons of, from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac lived by Beer Laharoi. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Keter, and Abiel, and Mibsam, and Misalah, and Duma, and Masah, Hadad, and Tema, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. For these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. He settled in defiance of all his relatives. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian, and Padamaran, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac proved, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, 
Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And afterward his brother came forth, and his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. You may be seated. A couple things just to remind you of before we look at these passages in uh, Genesis. Remember that in the Old Testament, many of the authors, when they recount history, set forth, explain, and apply profound doctrines of the gospel in stories. They're great storytellers. And these stories that we've been reading about in Genesis and will continue to read about are not just little stories that you tell your children about and you won't make any applications. All of them teach us the gospel. Every one of these stories are, uh, is fleshing out some aspect of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read these stories in Genesis of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the rest, understand that uh, Moses is not doing that just to give you some interesting stories. He's teaching the gospel by telling you stories. Second thing, remember, that the book of Genesis is divided into ten sections. And those ten sections are called toledoths, T-O-L-E-D-O-T-H-S. And the word toledoth is the translation of the phrase in our Bible. This is the record of the generations of. And it means outcome. This is the outcome of the life of so-and-so. There are ten of them in the book of Genesis. The first one is, this is the outcome of the creation of the world. The next one, this is the outcome of Adam's life. And then it goes on and on ten times, and each time it presents us with a new record of the outcome of somebody's life. It gets us closer to the first chapter of Matthew, which says this is the record of the outcome of Jesus' life, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So the purpose of these Toledoths is to move us closer and closer to their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, today, we're going to look at three Toledoths. Uh, part of two and all of one. We come to the end of a Toledoth we've been looking at now for several weeks. We've been looking for several weeks at the record of the outcome of Abraham's life, of Terah's life. Ten chapters, long chapters. And uh, can you uh, explain the outcome of Terah's life in one word? What's the most important thing Terah contributed to human history and to the program of redemption? Abraham. Terah was Abraham's father. So for the past 10 chapters or so, we've been reading about Abraham's life. Uh, And now we're going to finish up reading about Abraham's life. Just one further incident. 
It's hard to figure out why it's in the Bible. And we're also then going to read, uh, study the entirety of Ishmael's told it off. What was the outcome of Ishmael's life? And that told it off is about eight verses long. So that tells you something about Ishmael. And then the next told it off is the record of the outcome of Isaac's life. And Isaac, the most important thing he contributed to human history was Jacob. And so Isaac's told it all, the record of the outcome of his life is about 10 chapters. So you got 10, 11 chapters of Abraham's life. You got six, seven verses of Ishmael's life. And you've got 10 or 11 chapters of Jacob's life. Now, each one of these sections of the book of Genesis has a particular point that it wants to make in all the stories that it's going to tell you. And that's the important thing. When you read all the various stories, you figure out, first of all, who's told it off am I reading about? This is the record of the outcome of whose life. What's the theme of this record? And how do I fit this particular story into this particular man's life? So, let's start with a difficult passage of Scripture and see the end of Abraham's life. So go back to chapter 25, and we see a story here. Abraham took another wife. He's only about 175 years old. What do you want? And uh, he took another wife. Sarah had died. So he's not taking a second wife. Uh, Sarah has died. And so now he's taking another wife uh, whose name is Keturah. And then it gives you the list of the various sons that Abraham and Keturah had uh, in verses 1 through 4. And now the question is, What's going to be the relationship of Abraham to Keturah's sons and his relationship to Isaac? Remember, he, he loved Ishmael, and God told him he was going to have a son, and they didn't have a son. Isaac never came for a while. So he was in love with Ishmael. He loved Ishmael. And then he realized that Ishmael was not the son of promise, so then he becomes very closely tied to Isaac as the son of promise. God told him, he said, Abraham, now Savior of the world is going to come through you and your wife Sarah. Not you and any other woman. But you and your wife Sarah. And uh, of course they were, the great, they were the mother and the father of the church. And they were the great-grandparents of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's an old man. Sarah has died. His beloved servant, Eliezer, is on, off on a long trip. He's lonely. He's in need of companionship. So he marries this woman. And they have several sons. And I'm sure he grew very attached to these sons. I'm sure he grew, grew, grew attached to her. 
but he grew attached to those sons. Now, what's he going to do? Is he going to put them on par with Isaac? Isaac's a grown man. Is he going to put them in par with Isaac and say, I love you boys just as much as I love Isaac, and I want you to share in everything I have just as much as I share with him? He'd done that. He would have uh, discredited the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the point of this last story in Abraham's life is, see if you can see how the point's being made. The point is that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ and no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and the salvation of God, the blessings of God, the blessings of the covenant only come through Isaac. What about these boys? If Abraham had treated these boys on par with Isaac, he'd be contradicting the basic fundamental of the gospel by saying that there's more than one way receive the blessings of God. So, what does Abraham do? Verse 5, Now Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. That settles it. He set him apart from all the other sons. Now, he wasn't being mean. He wasn't showing favoritism. He was being theologically sound. I'm giving everything I have to Isaac because he's the son of promise. I love these boys. And they're not going to get left out of things. He says in verse 6, But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. I'm not going to leave them high and dry. I'm going to give them a lot of wealth. But they got to move out of here. they got to move to Arabia. There's only one son of promise. There's only one child of mine. That's going to be the great granddaddy of Jesus. And nothing can compromise that. So he gave Isaac everything he had. He gave his sons plenty of wealth while they were still living and then sent them away to Arabia because he did not want any mingling of the world with the church. Now, there's one little thing right here. I'm going to defend Abraham. I'm going to defend him from the accusation that he was a polygamist. And he married Keturah after Sarah had died. Keturah is still alive. Uh, presumably she was his concubine. A concubine is not a mistress. A concubine in the Middle East in that era was a secondary wife. It was a legal position uh, you had a wedding ceremony just like you did for your primary wife. 
Sarah was the primary wife. Keturah was the secondary wife. But the problem is that word concubines. Now to the sons of his concubines, doesn't that leave the impression that uh, Abraham has a few? Several wives at the same time? Well, I will tell you something that's very complicated, and you're not going to understand it, and I barely do. But this does get Abraham off the hook. Hebrew has a weird grammatical syntax that if uh, you have two plurals, you have two nouns that are both plurals, but you know one of them is not really plural because you've already been given her name, Keturah. Then you translate it like this, concubine-sons. So he says, but to the sons of his concubines, or that is, his concubine-sons. Sons, they're not on par with Isaac, and it does not imply that he has more than one wife. Okay, you got that? Okay, let's go on. Verse 7. And these are all the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and was gathered to his people. So he lived a long, long life, and it says he was satisfied with life. And then he was gathered to his people. That's a Hebrew phrase, phrase that meant he went to heaven. So why was Abraham satisfied with life? What was it about life that satisfied him? I mean, you know, he had all these tests, he had all these problems, he had all these things in his life that made life hard for him. What was it about life that satisfied him so that he died a satisfied old man? Well, the Bible says in John 8 what it was. Jesus said in John 8, And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham knew God. Abraham knew Jesus Christ. Abraham with fellowship with God all those many years and saw all those promises come true. Even with all the sins, even with all the challenges and all the test that he'd been given. He died a satisfied man because he knew Christ. One of the greatest things I ever read was by Charles Hodge who taught at uh, Princeton Seminary in the middle uh, 1800s. And he said this. He said, live so that when you die, all you have to do is die. 
No loose ends to tie up. No regrets. Live your life so when you come to die, all you have to do is die. Bad thing when a man dies and his life is full of regrets. Regretful that he never did this. Regretful that he did that. So live without regret and live in the fellowship of Almighty God. And when your turn comes to die, you will die a satisfied man or woman. Now there's another interesting thing that takes place at his death that you don't expect. Then his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham, Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. Therefore, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Ishmael and Isaac buried their father. Now, Ishmael and Isaac were enemies from the womb. Uh, They had to chase, uh, you remember who Ishmael was? His mother was the Egyptian uh, handmaiden, Hagar. God told Abraham, he was going to have a baby in his old age. Sarah didn't believe him. So Sarah decided she wanted to help God out. And so she gave her handmaiden to Abraham, you remember, to have a child by. Because legally, if that handmaiden had had a child, she would, it would be Sarah's legally. So she, uh, they're, they're in one house, Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, little baby Ishmael. Sarah notices Ishmael starting to fight with Isaac, give you a rough time. So Abraham told him to leave. So they went out in the desert because uh, he knew where that was going. And so Ishmael and his family, down through the generations, would be enemies of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. There must be a clean break between the church and those that are not in the church. And now here's Ishmael. After all those years, coming back to help bury his daddy. So those two brothers stood there. But they were two entirely different men. Isaac was a man of faith who wanted to live in terms of the promise of God. Ishmael was a man of unbelief who did not want to live in terms of God's promise. Isaac was an obedient, faithful servant to the living God. Ishmael served himself. That's the last time they were together. That's what? 3,500 years ago? Have you heard of 
Jews and Muslims coming together for a meal in the, in the Near East since? Have you heard of the church intermingling again with the world? Yeah, but you ought not to. So that's the last time Ishmael and Isaac and their families were ever together. And Isaac, they, they picked out this grave that Abraham had picked out for his wife in Canaan. And uh, Isaac didn't miss the point. Abraham had his wife buried in Canaan where he was going to be buried because that was his testimony to the world that this land is covenant land, that this land is promised land, that God promised me that down through my generations, this land and every other square inch of this earth would be possessed by the church. So, verse 11, and it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. Isaac lived by Beer Laharoi. And that's the end of the Toledoth of Terah. Now we come to the Toledoth of Ishmael. The outcome of Ishmael's life. Verse 12. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael. This is the outcome, the record of the outcome of Ishmael's life. This is the record of what he has contributed to the history of the world. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian Sarah's maid bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Abiel, and Mibsam, and Mishba, and Duma, and Massa, Hadad, and Tema, Jator, Naphish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died, was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria, he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Then Moses buries him in oblivion. That's the last time you hear about Israel. The total sum of his life, major contribution of his life, summed up in six verses. Do you know any of these names? Now, the amazing thing, so why is it in the Bible? 
Why is this short Toledoth of Ishmael in the Bible? Well, first of all, you want to figure out what's the point. What is the point of this Toledoth of Ishmael? Well, let's think of some things. Uh, it is to show that God is going to be faithful even in the most minute of promises. For instance, in these verses, you see three promises that God gave to Hagar in chapter 16 and chapter 17. God said to Abraham and to Hagar, number one, I'm going to make of your son Ishmael a great nation. Number two, he's going to live in Arabia. And number three, he's going to be at war with all of his neighbors. Those are the three specific promises we read in chapter 16 and 17 that God gave Hagar and Abraham about Ishmael. And here they all came true just like God said, so that God is faithful to the most minute. He's not going to let one word of any promise he's ever made fall to the ground unfulfilled. And you notice also that Ishmael is still at war. Ishmael's still at war with the people of God and his neighbors. He's clashing with them. He's at war with them. He's in defiance, is, uh, in defiance with all his neighbors. He doesn't get along with anybody. He's not a child of the covenant. He's outside the whole kingdom of God, the whole covenant of God. So what's the point? Life outside the covenant is of little to no significance. Here were sons. Twelve kings came from him. All kinds of nations. And he and his family were of little significance in the history of the world. Because he was outside the covenant of God. That's an important thing to remember because it's still true today. You and your family, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, here's a guy that had potential. Here's a guy that knew Abraham, fathered by Abraham. Here's a man who fathered 12 kings. 12 kings of Ishmael versus the 12 tribes of Israel. And his life was of little to no exist, uh, 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 meaning at all. Whole life was wasted. Because he did not believe in and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So because of that, he had to go to Arabia. Because we don't want any blending 
between the son of promise and the church on one side and the enemies of God on the other. See, what you've got to realize in this little obscure story about Ishmael and all his sons out there in Arabia is we're talking here about the destiny of the world. Talking about all the history that followed this. If If Ishmael and Isaac had stayed together and Isaac had compromised with Ishmael, where would we be today? 3,500 years later, in hell is where we'd be. Because if Ishmael and his sons did not go to Arabia, but stayed in the house of Abraham with the son of promise, that son of promise would have been compromised by the seed of the serpent, and there would be no Savior. what we're talking about here. This is not just little Bible stories to tell your children at night. Of course, some of these stories you wouldn't want to tell your children anyway until they get a little older. But uh, talking about the history of the world. Talking about the salvation that comes from Christ. Six past six verses summarize the contribution of Ishmael to the destiny of the world. Nothing of any significance. And we come to a third Toledoth. And this comprises the next 10, 11 chapters. So let's see what it says again. Verse 12. Now these are the records of the... Wait a minute, what am I talking about here? 19, I mean. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac. This is the record of the outcome of Isaac's life, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. You remember that story from last week the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Pandanaram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. So he's just setting the context for us. He's introducing to us Isaac, reminding us of Isaac and Rebekah. Verse 21. There's a big problem. Big problem. There's a big problem in Abraham's life. God said, Abraham, your seed's going to be the Savior of the world. Just three problems, Abraham. You're old. Your wife is old. And she's barren. Now, how are we going to get around that? Now, we come to the second relationship where Rebekah, married to Isaac, Abraham's son, is also barren. Do you think that's a coincidence? It's a coincidence that the two women that were supposed to give birth 
to the descendants of Je- uh, ancestors of Jesus were both infertile. You don't think it's a, a coincidence when you realize the point of this Toledoth. The point of the next 10 or 11 chapters is God is sovereign in the distribution of covenant blessings. God is absolutely sovereign in the distribution of covenant blessings and he wants everybody to know he's absolutely sovereign. And so right from the very start, story after story is going to remind us that our salvation and our future, our destiny, the blessings of the covenant are not dependent upon anything we are or anything we've done or anything we produced. But all those things and how they're administered and who gets them and who don't is the decision of the sovereign God. So right from the start, God has Abraham and Isaac marry barren women. Right from the start, we got a big problem. How are these women going to give birth to the ancestor of the Savior of the world? So Isaac knows, knows that she's barren. Of course, God did it on purpose. That's the thing that I'm bearing in mind. She is uh, barren. Rebecca and Sarah were both barren on purpose. Wasn't because of any physical malady. Wasn't because of anything in Isaac or anything in Sarah. God made them infertile. It was God's sovereign will that neither of these women have a baby by themselves. In the natural condition. That's God's sovereign will. If God had not intended for them to be barren, they would never have been barren. God wants wants you to know right from the start, I'm a sovereign God. So, verse 21, Isaac did what any faithful man would do. He didn't try to make Rebecca feel guilty. He didn't try to make Rebecca feel less of, less of a woman. He prayed to the only person that could heal her barrenness. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. So there it is. It's as simple as that. It's as plain as that. Isaac prayed to God because God is the only person that could do anything about Sarah, uh, Rebecca's infertility. And as we've said two or three times, and it's because of an emphasis that's made throughout these chapters, it takes more than two persons to make a baby. That's the big point here. If all you have is a man and a woman, they will never make a baby, ever. There has to be a third party. And without that third party, conception never takes place. 
and that party is the living God. That's why abortion is so hideous, to destroy something that God himself has created. So Isaac prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife, and God answered him. Rebecca, his wife, conceived. I'll tell you something that happened at Chalcedon many years ago, 30 years ago. There was a man and his wife who'd been trying to get pregnant. And she had had about nine miscarriages. And so one Monday night, that man and his wife came to the elders to get the elders to pray for them that she would conceive. That night they prayed. The next night she conceived. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. But that's what, that's what Isaac did. God answered him. She conceived. And verse 22 is a sad verse. But the children struggled. Now the Hebrew word for struggle is clashed. Fought. It's a violent thing. But the children fought violently together within her. And she knew something was wrong. This wasn't a normal pregnancy. And she said, if it's so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire the Lord. The only person that would know why. It's a godly man and woman. So Rebecca goes to the Lord and says, Lord, there, there's a, a serious problem. This is not a normal marriage, a normal pregnancy. This is something that seems vicious and seems uh, extremely painful. I'm not enjoying this at all. This is the answer. And the Lord said to her, here's why. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. That's why this is so abnormal. Rebecca, you are carrying the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Rebecca, in your womb is, uh, is the ancestor of Christ and one who hates Christ throughout all his generations. In your womb, you're carrying the church, and you're carrying the enemy of the church. And there's nothing normal about your pregnancy at all. Now, why did God do it like that? I couldn't have had uh, Jacob born one time and then another pregnancy. 
Esau another time. Why did he do it in this way that was so violent? God says, I want you to know I'm sovereign. And he even caused this abnormal pregnancy to work together for my good and for the saving of the world. He says, and here's the theme of this whole total off. Two people shall be separated from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Now normally, if you had twins, whoever was born first would be the heir of all the property and all the inheritance of the family. He'd be the important one. All God had to do if he wanted Jacob to be the heir of all these things, he could have just let Jacob be born first. Why do he do it like that? He says, I want the older to serve the younger. That's the purpose of this thing. I want the older to serve the purposes of the younger. Okay. Uh, why didn't you have the younger born first? I'm sovereign, and I don't want you to forget it. I could have done it the other way. I could have inverted the whole, whole order. I could have had Esau born second and Jacob born first, but that wouldn't have made as plain to you as it is now that I am sovereign. So the whole purpose of Esau's life, Esau is the representative of the seed of the serpent. The whole purpose of Esau's life is to serve the purposes of the child of promise. God wants you to know that whatever happens to Esau in this world, his purpose is to serve Christ's purposes in this life. 24. When her days to be delivered, Rebecca, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were two, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. And afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. Why did he say that? Why did he put that in the Bible? So here's the picture. Rebekah is delivering these two babies. Esau's the first one born. He's all red and hairy. And then the second to be born is Jacob. And as he's being born, he has a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old. She gave birth to them. What do you have here? You have these, these two little boys fighting from inside the womb. Esau's born. Jacob says, uh-uh, I'm going to be first. Grabs a hold of his heel. 
Get back in here. God could have done it all so easy if he just inverted the order and had Jacob born first and Esau second or said he wanted Esau to be the one that's the heir instead of Jacob. But he did it the hard way because he wants you to know that he is a sovereign God. And all the distributions of the covenant, and all the blessings of the covenant, and all the blessings of salvation, God determines who gets what. The decision as to who's going to be saved is God's. The decision of how promises are going to be filled in your life is God's. It's not your decision. It's God's through and through. God says, I am the Lord I have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion upon whom I have compassion. And I harden whom I will. They don't like this kind of God. This God that makes two little boys fight each other from, from the womb. There's no other God. You be thankful. And if God has bestowed grace upon you, it's not because you deserved it. It's not because of anything you produced. It's not because of anything you merited. Before time began, God made a choice. I'm going to save you and not him. Be thankful. He didn't have to choose you. But he did it so that you would praise him for his sovereignty throughout all eternity. That's why this toilet off begins like it does. A lot of pain, a lot of hardships. All because God wants to make it as plain as possible. He is a sovereign God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these stories. Thank you for what they tell about you. We are forever grateful that in your sovereign mercy you chose us when you could have left us in our sin and misery. So we thank you for all we learn about Jesus in these stories. We thank you that he alone is the Savior of the world. And you protected him throughout all of these generations so that there would be no compromise. We thank you that you've made us the spiritual elect seed of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Thank you that you have chosen to give us salvation instead of letting us go out in the darkness. May we always be grateful. For Christ's sake, 
Amen.